0: This Sunday, we're looking at the broad story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11. Uh, so with that in mind, we're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to be looking at various parts of it. So with that in mind, friend, uh, follow along as I read out loud John 11, starting in verse 1, and then we're going to finish up in verse 44. Now, but friend, hear the word of the Lord to us in John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, "Let us also go that we may die with him." Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb 4 days. Bethany was near Jerusalem about 2 miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she sent she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher's here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And let him go. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated as we pray? Father, your word uh, tells us to cast all of our anxieties and fears onto you because you care for us. Uh, Father, as we uh, admit and confess our worry and our stress and our anxieties, uh, Lord, we pray that we would see Jesus who bore on his body our sins, who has defeated death itself. Father, may we see him in his victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, as we dive into John 11, we'll pick up, you know, verse by verse starting next Sunday. But looking at the broad story today, I just have a quick question for you. I need you to use a bit of your imagination. It's going to be hard, so it's going to be a stretch. But can you imagine, can you imagine a life free from worry, stress, and anxiety. Imagine a life where you were free from stress, worry, or anxiety. Uh, For many of us, uh, I'll I'll readily admit that seems uh, virtually impossible, right? Uh, Anxiety, worry, stress about the future, uh, it's ubiquitous, right? It's everywhere. Stress and worry uh, are as much a part of our lives as our cell phones are. Uh, as much as the internet is or taxes, they're just everywhere we look, stress and worry seem to hover around us. Uh, in many ways, stress and worry, that's just our way of life, right? It's, uh, it's the water that you and I as little fish swim in, right? Well, sometimes we're not even aware that we're swimming in it, right? It's ubiquitous. Everywhere we look, it's there. Everywhere we go, it seems to follow us, right? Even when we lie down in our bed, you know, it's there. And Even when we rise in the morning, lo, behold, it is with us, right? Uh, friends, if you, if you feel that way about stress and worry and anxiety, uh, you're not alone. According to the 2017 APA poll, Stress in America, which the American Psychological Association conducts every two years, Uh, In 2017, they found that three out of four Americans experienced stress, worry, and anxiety uh, every single month. Uh, 45% of Americans say that they lie awake at night worried. 35% report being irritable and angry because of stress or anxiety. And 34% of Americans claim that they are tired. They just have general fatigue because they are worried and anxious. And uh, in the poll, they, they ask Americans, what are they so stressed out about? What are they worried about? And the answers may not surprise you. They list money problems. They mention work problems, crime. Uh, and since 2017, the number one stressor for Americans, anybody want to take a gander, a guess at it? Number one stressor for Americans is the future of the nation. Interesting, they didn't say anything about being sick. Uh, the stress that comes from diagnoses, uh, the stress when your loved ones are hurting or dying or have died or the stress that comes from the disappointment in leadership, uh, family breakups, family divorces, family struggles. You know, uh, as, I, as I kinda looked more into stress and anxiety, um, the New York Times actually ran an article just last week called The Difference Between Worry, Stress and Anxiety. Um, But don't worry, I'm not going to tell you what it says, because it probably stressed you out. (laughs) Uh, So friends, uh, what are we supposed to do with our anxiety, our stress, our worry about the future? Well, uh, first of all, let me just quickly define those terms, and then I want us to see how John 11 is full of worry, stress, and anxiety, and how Jesus uniquely answers those fears. So what's worry? Well, worry. If you you know if you're just taking notes, just maybe put these sort of in categories. Worry is something that you and I do with our minds. You know, it's something where we think about possible negative outcomes, right? We're worried about negative outcomes. It's something we do with our minds. Uh, stress, though, if you remember, stress is a physiological reaction, right? It's something our bodies do in reaction to the things we're worried about, right? You're you know uh, what did Eminem say? My knees are weak. My palms are sweaty. Isn't that, isn't that the pop pop culture reference to it? Yeah. You know, we get we get anxious, you know, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure rises, our palms are clammy, right? That sense, that sense of stress, right, is what our bodies do in reaction to the stress that we feel. Uh, but then anxiety, anxiety is really the culmination of both of those things. Anxiety is the state of being constantly worried in our minds and also physically sort of on edge, uh, right? We don't know if we're going to go into fight or flight mode, right? I know you've heard those terms before. Um, if, you, if you struggle with this... Um, Uh, You know, maybe the best way to think about anxiety is uh, this comes from Ed Welch, who's a a counselor, biblical counselor, and his book changed my life. It's called Running Scared. If anybody needs to read a book this week on anxiety, I'd encourage you to read Running Scared by Ed Welch. It's called Running Scared: Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. And in that book, he defines anxiety as our inability to be present inability to be present, right? We're so worried and stressed out that we can't really be present with our kids, right? Uh, We may be with them, but our minds are elsewhere about work or marriage problems or money problems, right? Uh, We're so worried and stressed out that we can't really enjoy the goodness of worship with God's people. You know, we can't just freely sing the praises of the living God. Uh, we, We don't rejoice in the prayers of the people because our minds... Instead of being present in worship, they're worried about this coming week. You're so worried and stressed out, you fail to appreciate just the simple goodness of God and his gifts towards you. You can't even appreciate your pillow or your mattress, right? That's just the place where you stress out all the more. You know, Can you imagine a life without anxiety, worry, or stress? Well, what I want you to do is I want to walk with you through John 11, and I want to show you just how worry about death and worry about sickness of loved ones and anxiety and emotional toil are all over this story. Um, Everyone, in fact, this is, this is, we're going to, I'm going to show you this. Everyone in this story is stressed out to the max. (laughs) Everybody is worried in this story, and everyone is anxious, um, except for one person one person is not anxious and one person is not stressed out and one person isn't worried and sometimes you and i get the impression when you and i are really stressed out and we get around somebody who isn't stressed out or isn't worried sometimes we think that they're really emotionally detached right you know, that they're, you're not really hearing me, right? Isn't that what every worrier tells their spouse? You're not really hearing how bad it could be, babe, right? Well, the funny thing is, is that Jesus is absolutely emotionally present. In fact, Jesus is fully present, yet never anxious. In fact, if you want to know what Jesus is like, you can actually write that down. Jesus is fully present, but never anxious, after all, towards the end of this story, everybody's weeping, you know. everybody's crying, Martha's crying, Mary's crying, the crowds are crying. And since the beginning of this story, Jesus says, this is for God's glory, and I'm going to do something miraculously so that you will believe that God the Father has sent me into the world to redeem it. And yet, even at the end of the story, even though he knows how he's going to address the fears and the worries and the stresses. Jesus is emotionally present with them. Now, Paul says it this way, he weeps with those who weep. And of course, that's where we get the most famous Bible verse of any Bible drill any kid has ever done. Jesus wept, got one. I memorized a Bible verse, right? Now, if you ask him what verse it is, no one ever remembers, but it's John eleven thirty five in our story. So I know that the irony of talking about worry and stress and anxiety, uh, it's not lost on me that it's a pretty good week to talk about this with the coronavirus and something to do with the stock market. This is, I don't have stocks, so I'm kind of like, whatevs, this is, you know, I'm a millennial, of course I don't have stocks. <laughs> Notice the boomers didn't laugh at that joke. You know, the, the irony about talking about worry and stress and anxiety, right, is um, Jesus talks about it constantly, but if you're worried and you're anxious or you're stressed, me talking about it is actually making you more stressed out. I get that. I get that. I know I'm making you more stressed out by talking about it, but if you're going to tackle your fears, you got to go right at it, right? And also remember, what, what does Jesus say about anxiety and worry and stress? Well, In just a few weeks, in John 14, we'll see that Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Are you kidding, Jesus? Don't you know what I'm dealing with? You know, Peter, uh, towards the end of his life, right before Peter is martyred, uh, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 writes these famous words, Cast all of your anxieties... On him for he cares for you for he cares for you and then of course in his most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave in Matthew 5 through 7 when Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount you know the most famous sermon ever delivered Jesus says do not be anxious for anything and he repeats that over and over again Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Do not worry about tomorrow. And then uh, in Luke 10, sort of reiterating how Jesus talks about anxiety and worry, uh, he goes into a home of his friends that he loves. He goes to his friend's house. And one sister listens to Jesus and sits at his feet and gets taught. And then one of them is worried and anxious about making sure the house is clean and the food is all prepared. You remember this story? Remember who it's about? It's about Mary and Martha. And at the end of the story, you know what Jesus tells her in Luke 10? He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And then that's it. That's the end of the story in Luke. Well, what's the one thing? Jesus, you're raising my anxiety, right? You tell me not to be anxious? Well, what am I supposed to think about all day? Well, John 11 picks up with that same family, with Mary and Martha. And back in Luke 10, she was anxious about many things. And now in John 11, she's anxious and worried and stressed about something new. Because there's always something new to stress out about, right? And how does Jesus speak to that? Well, let's go, let's go through Luke 11. I want to I show you how many people are stressed out. In Luke 11, you know, um, anxiety and worry is not something we invented as modern people, right? So, who are the people that, you know, are worried and stressed out? Well, the first person that I want to suggest to you is worried and stressed out is Lazarus. He's about to die. He dies in this story, right? I mean, imagine that. I mean, if you've had a bad diagnosis, imagine the stress and the anxiety surrounding Lazarus. Right there, look at verse 1. Let's read up there. Uh, Go to verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, right? I mean, how many of us have been stressed out about health diagnoses or worries? I mean, the the pervasiveness of having to have tests or EEGs or MRIs. I mean, um, if I needed a witness, I bet half of you would raise your hands knowing exactly what that stress and that worry is like, right? And worry, of course, worry is both logical and illogical, right? It goes to the worst extremity, and then it hopes, and then it goes back to the worst. And you look at all of the negative outcomes, so Lazarus, right off the bat, Lazarus is sick unto death. He's the first person stressed out. Well, who, who, who else is stressed out in this story? We don't have to go far. Just go to the very second verse. Who else is stressed out about this? We learn about his sisters, Mary and Martha. See right there in verse 1, the village of Mary and Martha. And it was Mary who has a relationship with Jesus, that Martha knows Jesus as well. And that's a whole different kind of worry and anxiety, isn't it? There's the worry that maybe when you're not doing well, you can be stressed out about. But then there's the worry when you have to sort of do it vicariously, uh, when a loved one is sick, or ill, or struggling, or not doing well. There's that, that weight that a lot of people will experience that on other people's behalf. You know, have you ever had a loved one so sick, or ill, or struggling that like, it makes you worried for them? It makes you experience stress. I think that's all over Mary and Martha. I mean, this is exactly how they engage Jesus, right? I mean, when Jesus does show up, right? They, you know, you know, Martha, God loves Martha, and God loves Marthas, right? And what's great about Martha is she's so stressed out and anxious that when she hears that Jesus has finally come, days late, she doesn't even wait for him to get into the house. What does she do? Look at verse, uh, you know, 17 through 19. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews came, come to Martha and Mary to console them. Look at verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. She's so stressed about the health condition of her loved one, the death of her loved one, that she can't even wait in the house, Right? She gets up and she flees to Jesus. And then out of her stress and worry, notice how she speaks to Jesus. In verse 21, what does she say? Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have happened. You know, she's, she's doubting Jesus' love for her. Saying, where were you? Where were you? If you had actually cared you would have been here. But she does know Jesus a little bit, right? She does know him. And so even though she's lacking in trust, her next response is, but you should have been here, but I know that you can do whatever you want to do. I know that you're the Messiah, and if you want to bring him back from the dead, I know you can do it. I mean, how many of us have prayed like that? We lack the trust, but we also cling to what we know is true about Jesus. So we're seeing her anxiety come out even as she speaks to Jesus. Of course, Mary, uh, Mary's stressed out as well. Don't forget about Mary, the other sister. She's worried, and the same thing happens. Uh, a message comes to her uh, that saying that Jesus is here, and so she goes out and she runs out in verse 31. She follows her sister eventually and runs out to speak to Jesus, and what does she say? She says the same thing, but she sort of lacks the faith statement, right? She doesn't say, but I still believe that you can do anything. She just says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So not only is Lazarus, was he worried before his death? Are you starting to see just how anxious and worried Mary and Martha are? Um, and it's even, it's like, I, maybe you don't like my sense of humor, but I find some humor in this story especially when Jesus, you know, is deeply moved and Jesus has just wept and he comes to the tomb and it it repeats in verse 38 that he's deeply moved, right? Jesus is very emotional right now because he's emotionally present with us. And Jesus says, remove the stone. And did you catch what happens? It's like a Monty Python movie. It's like Martha goes, it'll smell bad. That's literally her answer. She goes, but there will be an odor. Jesus, he's been dead for four days. I'm sorry. If you're stressed out, sometimes you need some comedic relief. And I find some comedic relief in that statement. I mean, seriously, she says that. Jesus says, she's like, I know you can raise him from the dead. Jesus, like, cries. He's like, all right, let's do this. And then she goes, oh, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. It's going to smell really bad. Are you sure? Worriers just don't know how to quit, do they? She was worried about the meal. She's worried about her brother. She's worried about the odor. Warriors don't know how to quit. And of course, the other anxious group of people is is all over uh, the story. It's the crowd, right? And uh, we see that they also run out, and they follow Mary and Martha, and they too are weeping. And what do they say? Look at verse 36, the crowd, the Jews... They say, see how he loved him. They see that Jesus loves Lazarus, and yet they can't understand why he lets this happen. And so they have that sort of question in verse 37, isn't this the same guy who gave the blind man his sight back? If he can do that, why hasn't he raised this man from the dead? Why didn't he keep him from dying? So we see all kinds of anxious people, but there's one more group of people that are anxious. In case you think, there are some people who are not worried in this story, and that's the disciples. Way earlier in this story, we see how anxious the disciples are. You know, starting there in verse uh, you know, 4, Jesus hears originally about Lazarus being sick. And so Jesus says, well, this sickness isn't going to lead to true death, right? It doesn't lead to death because it's going to be for God's glory. And so Jesus waits for two days to ensure that Lazarus is really going to be dead when he shows up. And then, after two days, he looks at his disciples and he says, all right, who's ready to go back into Judea? Who's ready? Let's go. And the disciples have been stressed out for two days. Why isn't Jesus going? What is he possibly waiting for? Like, doesn't he love Lazarus? Why are we waiting for two days? What is Jesus up to? And then after two days of waiting, now you want to (laughs) go? Now we're going to go. Okay, that makes no sense. And so that's exactly the conversation the disciples have with Jesus. Why are you going back? They want to kill you, and they want to kill us as well. Why are we going back? It's too late. So not only are they worried for Lazarus, they're also worried about their own lives. They don't want to go back to Jerusalem. Remember, they tried to stone Jesus, and Jesus has just escaped from them trying to kill him. And, of course, that's where we get, um, you know, I, I think the, the best thing Thomas ever says, uh, one of them, right? And, again, remember, uh, there, is a, there is sort of a, a dry sense of humor in a lot of the Bible. And, uh, you know, that's where we get that beautiful statement from Thomas, right? Where Jesus says, all right, he's not, yes, he's died, but I let that happen so I can reveal my power, and then how does Thomas respond? He says, "Let's go." And you know, Jesus says, "Let's go." And then this is verse sixteen. I love this. is like a great. This is so awesome. Thomas says, "Let us also go, that we may die with him." <laughs> and uh, I, you know, there's two ways of taking that. One is is Thomas is like the, the disciple par excellence, like let's go and die with Jesus. But if you read the Bible and you read the stories of the disciples that's probably a generous reading. I think probably what's more likely is they're like, well, I guess we're gonna die, let's just go. Why not? They're probably gonna kill us anyway. So all that to say, um, are you, you know, like I said, we're gonna spend the next few weeks looking at different uh, passages within John 11, but are, are you starting to feel the emotional tone of this story uh, that everybody around Jesus is extremely stressed out and extremely worried. The disciples are worried about their own life. The crowds are worried about their friend. Mary and Martha are worried that Jesus may not be who he is. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. And why did you let my brother die? So how does Jesus address all of these worries and stresses? Why does, another way of saying is why does Jesus do this? And I think Jesus does this because he wants to show us that he alone, he al- Jesus Christ alone can actually address the stress and the fears and the worry and the anxieties in your life. Um, I know you can find all kind of life hacks online and principles and breathing techniques to work on your anxieties and your worries Uh, But, friends, that's dealing with the symptom and not the root of the problem. The root of the problem, the root of our fears, is death itself. What's Lazarus afraid of doing? Lazarus is afraid of dying. What are Mary and Martha afraid of? They're afraid of their brother dying. What are the disciples afraid of? They're afraid that they're going to die with Jesus. If you walk down a list of all the fears that you and I have, at the root of them is the fear of death. That's the root of them. That's the root fear. And so part of the reason Jesus does this is because he wants to prove for this family that he loves and for his disciples whom he loves and for us, his people whom he loves, that he alone has the power over death itself. What's the one thing Martha needs to know? Well, he tells her. It's right there in verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then don't you love his question, do you believe this? Friend, do you believe this? That if you believe in Jesus, you'll never die. Uh, Death will be a door you burst right through into eternity. That nothing, neither height nor depth, nor breadth nor width, or rulers or principalities, nor life nor death, can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You see, why is Jesus uniquely capable of addressing this fear? Why does Jesus call a dead man out of a tomb, which is a cave with a stone in front of it? Because Jesus will die for this man. And Jesus will die for Mary and Martha. And Jesus will die for all of his sheep because the good shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. He will die the death that you and I deserve. He will be placed in a tomb and taste death itself. And then on the third day, because he's not just a human with life hacks, because he's the Lord himself, he will raise his body through the power of the Holy Spirit to new life. Air will pass through his lungs and he will begin to make all things new. You see, the one thing that Martha misses in the midst of her fears and her anxieties and her worries, she doesn't see yet what Jesus is going to do on the cross. And when she does, what Jesus has done on the cross addresses every possible fear that you and I have. Do you fear cancer? Who's overcome the grave? Do you fear the death of your loved ones? Who has demonstrated that he loves your loved ones more than you do? Do you fear not having enough in this life? Do you you worry about being abused and mistreated? Are you worried about going back to Judea because people are seeking to stone you? Friends, every fear and worry and stress, it melts. It melts in the light of the gospel. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to you with many worries and stresses and anxieties. Uh, But Father, at the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the curse of the law. And you bore in your body our sins Father, you are the good shepherd. Thank you for doing what we never could. Uh, Father, help us to learn what it means to never fear, to not worry, to cast all of our anxieties on you because you care for us. Uh, Lord, thank you for the gospel that it addresses every one of our fears. Uh, Father, thank you for your love for us. And thank you that you proved it to us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.